Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast, can at times contain adult language and themes. It is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Digital Dissection Podcast, where we take a closer and possibly unnecessary look at our favorite properties, creators, and topics. We are your humble hosts, Joe and Mark, two pop culture nerds dedicated to telling entertainment history before it's forgotten too soon. Join us on Facebook, Twitter, and our blog for more information on the show. We also love to hear from you, so why not write us at Digital Dissection Podcast? at gmail.com and now that we've got that out of the way let's get to dissecting hey joe the, the the red light is uh it's blinking again i have no memory of this place <laughs> yes folks joe and mark we are back it's season two <laughs> we've been on a break i mean it, it doesn't feel like several months have passed but they have and they have, yeah. I mean, we had some holidays, some laughs, and uh, lots and lots of sleep. We've literally been basically hibernating around the holidays and the show. We do nothing else. Yeah, I mean, illnesses yeah. may have come and gone. We mm-hmm. don't know we were sleeping. Yeah, but hey, that's how things go, man. <laughs> <laughs> but hell yes, it is fun to be back. I'm excited. Joe, mm-hmm. from everything I can tell on your camera feed, you also appear excited. Yep. I am a thousand percent excited. You can see it through my glasses and through the glare. Eyes just massively huge right now. Speaking of eyes being massively huge, Joe and I are are very excited to bring this episode to you, the Digital Dissection Crew, because, Mm -hmm. I mean, this this is one of those episodes that is like a, I don't know, this is... This is like the fantasy draft of guests, Joe. We didn't think we'd be in this position. We didn't think we'd be able to, to bring the the just the amazing Noah Watts mm-hmm. you know, onto the show. And for those of you that don't know Noah Watts intimately, um, or haven't played a video game by Ubisoft since yeah. you know 2012, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, seriously, mm-hmm. he he is Master Assassin Connor Kenway, mm-hmm. dude. Dude's been on uh, Sons of Anarchy, CSI. I mean, he even drops that he was in a movie with Ryan Gosling. Guys, yeah, and that was his first movie, literal first movie. That's what that's what he, where he started off of. Um, this guy just has an incredible career. If you have not looked into him at all, uh, he got like won't go into too much because you'll want to hear it from him. But like, he got to start like in acting in high school, and like this was him in a feature film in high school. Which is just incredible, and he's just been—he's been going ever ever since then. Uh, whether it's acting um, on stage, you know, in a, on TV, in a major motion picture, um, or eventually voice acting, he's yeah. kind of run the gamut on it. Yeah, and and I mean, he'll he'll tell us himself that uh, you know if, if you if you weren't a big fan of Connor Kenway, that's all right. I didn't write the guy. But <laughs> if you haven't checked it out, uh, if you looked at our, our social media, we've actually been sharing uh, some of his his uh, music, actually, that he's, yeah. he's produced and um, been making here uh, over the last few years with the band Nickel and, uh, Nichols and Bones. Um, so we, we definitely recommend that you check that out because Noah's extremely proud of his music. We're big fans ourselves, and it's definitely worth you know looking into. But uh, Joe, one thing I did want to say about this, this interview, because... 
you know, after every interview, you and I just kind of have this, this, whether, whether it's like stored emotion from the interview or, <laughs> or, uh, you know, <laughs> just nerves. Uh, how did this interview wrap up for us, Joe? Do you remember? Um, vaguely. So before this interview, I think the closest like starstruck that any of us had ever gotten was when, when we were talking to Josh Sawyer and Mark was just like a wreck leading up to it. And I was a silent wreck leading up to Noah Watts. I didn't say it. I kept I kept the cards close to my chest. Everything was appeared to be calm. And then we got to talking with Noah Watts. And then as soon as as soon as we were done, I just immediately started like screaming. Like I couldn't believe. Like I had to like roll away from a microphone so it wouldn't destroy Mark's ears. I could not believe who we just talked to. Um, like Connor has been my favorite character in this series. Um, since I got the chance to play him and getting getting the chance to actually, you know, sit down and have a conversation with with Noah was, you know, it just meant meant so much to me to be able to do that. So I can't thank him enough for for him being able to come on. And it was the closest I've ever gotten to like a community moment. Mark, did you ever watch Community when it was on? Yeah, oh yeah, I've watched. I've watched. Uh, I'm not like a dedicated fan to it, but I've I've seen yeah. a good amount of it. Yeah, uh, the one where Chevy Chase's character actually brings the Var Burton to Donald Glover's character, and he's just like dead silent the whole time. And then it, after the whole thing is done, he starts like screaming in the bathroom because of how excited he was. And then he also mentioned that like he just wanted an autographed picture because you can't like disappoint a picture. <laughs> I was I was like right there I'm like I'm gonna say something stupid and Noah's gonna be mad and he's gonna leave and I'm gonna gonna disappoint him and thankfully that doesn't happen yeah it doesn't happen folks it's a really fun conversation and as Joe mentioned I mean both of us were were just so happy to have sat down with him and I was I was in the same boat like I mean, I was watching Joe's camera, and all of a sudden these subtitles came up, and it just said "visible screaming," <laughs> and and uh, I mean, we yeah, it was just such a fun time. And I don't want to use the, you know, I, I'm screw it, I'll use it, the overused term of you know, don't meet your heroes or any of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, this is a privilege to be able to to meet these these folks. You know, the folks who have like played a very big part of our lives, whether it's just through media entertainment you know their craft you know and in this case you know being able to spend what feels like you know 50 to 100 hours with a character who's yeah. voiced by someone that you you appreciate that much mm -hmm. um it's it's seriously uh th that kind of time we can't thank you enough noah for for doing that so yeah i mean without further ado joe why don't we kick off season two let's get this thing going and let's bring the mr noah watts on the show. So everyone, welcome back to season two of Digital Section, a nerd podcast, where we are very humbled, honored, and excited to welcome our first official guest of the season. Uh, you'll know him from several TV appearances, movie appearances, and a special place in our hearts, gaming, gaming hearts, and that is Assassin's Creed 3, as Connor himself. Everyone, welcome Noah Watts. Oh, 
Thank you're doing you. the clap. You're doing the clapping. <laughs> thank motion, you. Thank but you. It may not pick mm -hmm. up on the mic because you know we got that noise canceling stuff going on, but the clapping is there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cool. Yeah, we'll add it in post. No, that's that's how we always. And we have like a really loud crowd roar in post. Like yes. <laughs> <laughs> we will go straight like San Diego Comic Con when they introduce like an entire line of people. Like we'll just pull that in. Yeah, right. same thing <laughs> <laughs> well it is it is absolutely a privilege and, and we we can't be uh thankful enough here to have you join us because um as folks would know who have listened to this program since the beginning i mean joe and i are obviously very very big assassin's creed fans and i mean we've dedicated several hours of discussion you know on the show <laughs> noah so um it's it's awesome to have uh have you you know join us and and represent you know part of the series um, but we also like to do just as much of an exploration of the the things that Wikipedia may not cover because I mean sometimes you know there's 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 some unverified information sometimes uh, there's not a, like elaboration on certain years of the life so um, we'd love to to dig into some of those those areas of the margins there to to understand a bit more about you know like your early life for example and even mm -hmm. how you got started uh, you know from from uh, I guess we don't have to go like all the way from day one, no. you know, but uh, you know, fairly close to the <laughs> to childhood. <laughs> I was born. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I grew up in Montana. I was born around Livingston and grew up in Bozeman, and uh, I started. To, I was big into sports, really. That was my main thing: baseball, basketball, uh, golf, and tennis. Um. And that was really my primary focus throughout, you know, middle school. Um, I think around eighth grade, no, sixth grade or something, I, I started doing theater plays, but it was not really the main focus. Mm -hmm. um, high school is when I really started to kick into getting more excited about uh, working as an actor. And I did uh, all the plays and uh, speech and debate and. I, was, I had a really good mentor, a really good theater teacher, um, who basically helped me, I guess what you call it, get the acting bug. I, he really encouraged me, and um, I don't think if it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't have pursued it as I did. Um, and then right away in my senior year, I got a, a part in a, in a film uh, with Ryan Gosling and David Morse called The Slaughter Rule. And it was one of their, you know, earlier independent films. Mm -hmm. And that really solidified it, uh, just being on a set and seeing, you know, how it worked. And up until then, I'd, I'd only done theater. So I'm working on a movie set was a whole big thing. I, I really loved it. And I just knew uh, right then that I, that's what I wanted to do. And I was just going to go for it. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, and then I just went right down to LA after high school and uh, went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And but but um, I also had a kind of a, a hobby of music as well, and mm -hmm. I always enjoyed playing music a lot. And I played a little in in you know the snare drum in the band and in middle school and. Kind of messed around with the guitar, took some guitar lessons throughout high school, and and it really was it was kind of just a just a hobby. 
Um, acting was mm -hmm. really my main focus, um, particularly uh, film acting. I, I didn't really want to do any uh, television or um, anything that wasn't like film, you know, which uh, in retrospect, I probably shouldn't have been so, uh, I guess, a stickler or I uh, shouldn't have been so stubborn in that because mm -hmm. I did get uh, TV offers early on and um, I did turn some of them down while I was doing plays in uh, a couple theater projects in Santa Fe. Um, I did this play called uh, The Indolent Voice by um, Scott Mamaday, a native writer. Um, so I had the main part in that. I just, I kind of didn't really respect TV as much, I guess. I didn't really watch too much TV. Mm -hmm. So I just wasn't too into it. Now I, I, I do like watching shows, uh, um, episodic TV shows, um, hour long shows. Mm -hmm. I, I've gotten into it since then, but um, back then I really just didn't want anything to do with it. Um, yeah, even though, like, because you even made your way onto TV quite a few times, like your uh, Sons of Anarchy, you were in CSI Miami. So when you were reluctant to take those roles, was there was there something that kind of pushed you to actually start working in TV? Or was it kind of a, uh, I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll start trying to do something different? My manager told me, you better do some uh. TV. <laughs> <laughs> you need to get some TV, man. Get in there and do mm -hmm. some TV. Good for you. <laughs> and she's right. Um, you just got to do everything you can when you're down there. You can't turn away any opportunities. You know, and that's something I learned. When you get into it at a young age, you really don't have that discipline. The way I look at things now, mm -hmm. definitely not the same. Um, every opportunity is an opportunity to show, you know, what you can give and, uh, uh, I, I'm happy now that I that I did go on some of those TV shows, and I continue to try out for shows uh, to this day. I'm always auditioning um, for all sorts of different television shows. I, in fact, I probably audition more for television than I do for feature films. Uh -huh. But I think that, that there's just more TV nowadays. There's oh, yeah. a lot more, like Netflix. Um, Amazon, like all these different streaming sites now mm -hmm. have their own money to make their own shows. So it's a lot. And I noticed it's a lot of, you know, seasons, you know, uh, 40 minute shows, um, kind of going away from the sitcom 20 minute thing and into this hour long, you know, I guess like Sopranos. They're kind of like yeah. movies. They're like little mm -hmm. hour movies. They're shot yeah. like movies. They're shot with, you know, uh, that kind of feel so I, I, i'm into it i like it um, yeah i think i saw like a great description of how modern media is is like you have your, your netflix is asking hey do you want to watch a movie and you say no but it's like okay how about this what about a movie that's eight hours <laughs> long and we break it up into like eight chunks and you're like god damn it i'm in yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's mm -hmm. what we got now yeah book of boba fett i was i was there oh, every yeah. wednesday mandalorian mm -hmm. i was there Oh, that's right. And you were a pretty big Boba Fett fan too. I've seen uh, what you have. Uh, you did a pretty, pretty solid Boba Fett cosplay once upon a time, right? I did. Yes. I, um, it was, 
the picture did a lot more justice to it than up close. <laughs> it was uh, it was a little cheap, but um, I just love that character so much, and I'm so glad that they revived him. And yeah, I finally got to see him crawl out of the Sarlacc pit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah like I feel like he was like always like a lot of his character development was always limited to or restricted to like books and video games. Yep. And that's just part of the media that not a lot of the fan base got into. So it was really nice to be able to explore him a lot more in the series. Yeah. And he did a great job. The, the actor mm-hmm. uh, who plays uh, Boa and Django. Um, but yeah, I did read the books as well. I read the uh, tales of the bounty hunters. I think that's the one I read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I had information on all of those guys uh, from Empire Strikes Back when Vader's trying to track down Han Solo, and he's got them all lined up there in the uh, Star Destroyer, and he's no disintegrations. <laughs> <Yes. Jewish. laughs> yeah. A few lines, it was just so good. Yeah, it was the it was the armor, it was the visor, it was the helmet, mm-hmm. it was everything, the mystery. Yeah, who's under there? Yeah. What's What's he doing? You know, we always <laughs> we, we love to reference under uh, Seinfeld when they're talking about Iron Man and how it's like, you know, I still say he's uh, what does he say? I st- he still say he's naked. He still under say there. he's naked under there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I still <laughs> say he's naked under there. <laughs> oh, that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I love the fact that this is the age Noah that we live in now, where uh, you've got creators like Dave Filoni and, and John Favreau out there that are. Yeah. Ad- they're adapting these stories that that many of us have like deeply latched on to um and so it's it's cool to see uh you know obviously someone like yourself that we've we've obviously followed for years now and and seeing you uh, consume the same stuff you know i mean I, we don't like to say the whole thing where it's like you know uh you know celebrities are just like us they eat food you know that kind of stuff um but it's really awesome to see because you know, joe and i are also very big fans of ghostbusters and we couldn't have or we couldn't like stop and notice and see that you've got a lot of photos either involve the logo or or stuff that you've seen while you're exploring you know how, yeah, how big, i'm actually you know. wearing the ghostbusters shirt right now huge huge influence in my life the the first one I memorized that old movie and I would do I would do the movie for my family. I was about oh, six or something. Fantastic. I had all the lines. I could remember them all. And, um, it just was a big, uh, I don't know, something about it just captured my imagination when I was young. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to see my nephew. Um, he's about that age now and he really loves Ghostbusters too. So I was happy that he got on that on that same vibe um but it was it, the first one's the best uh, oh yeah bar but i'll take anything they give me you know i mean mm-hmm. that's the thing is they just got to give us what we want and and you know it's the like the boa fett the ghostbusters i mean any new star wars uh, you know some are better than others but i'll just i'll i'll watch it all i'll take mm-hmm. it all because i just love the uh the lore the the world the universe that they set up and a lot of these iconic uh, uh, franchises um, that they're actually letting out and breathe. Um, I thought Mandalorian was amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. So 
But yeah, Vakeman's my favorite. Uh, <laughs> <my favorite. laughs> now, is, is this because of just what's on screen, or is this also the fact that he shows up to college parties with Wu Tang Clan and serves drinks behind the bar? I think Bill Murray is just cool. He's just a cool <laughs> dude. I mean, you know, the, the other guys are cool too, but Bill Murray, I mean, he's one of my favorite actors. I particularly like his Hunter S. Thompson uh, yeah. movie where he played, uh, what was it, Where the Buffalo Roam? I think, it, I think that's yeah. what it's called. He played Hunter S. Thompson in that. He's just so funny. Mm -hmm. He's got such a great sense of humor and it's really dry and I don't know. He's he's one of my personal favorite comedians. Well, I was going to ask, you know, because um, you know, we we've heard of, we've we've spoken to different actors, you know, over the the course of this this show's history, and everyone has, um, you know, different approaches and different jumping off points, you know, for from where they got started. And I didn't know if if you had any any like role models or anyone that you you maybe adapted some of your like early performances to. I mean, like. Was there anything like that that influenced you? Um, well, my uncle was a stage actor. Well, he was my um, my aunt's husband. He was my uncle-in-law, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he was a he was he's not with us anymore, but he was a great stage actor and director. And um. I remember one time I was trying out for a part for I think it was the Glass Menagerie or something and and uh, he took me aside and he's like okay well who's this character you're doing Tom or what is it? whatever his name is okay so what's his last name what, what's his first name what's his middle name okay what's uh, what's his mom's name what's his mom's middle name what's his mom's last name what what's his favorite color what has he got in his pockets what's his favorite food. And I didn't know what was going on. He was just rattling all these questions at me. And and I tried to answer some of them. And he's like, no, these, I'm not asking you to answer these. These are things you need to be thinking about. Because if I was to ask you these questions, you'd have an answer for them. So you got to think about that in the same way you approach characters. What kind of shoes does he wear? Has he got any injuries? Does it make him walk a little different? Does he lead with his head? Like He dove so deep. Um, and that's really where I started to get my foundation for how I build characters when I get it, when I get a role. The deeper you go and the more information you can gather on, on it, 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 it just makes it more detailed and it comes through the more work you do on it. Um, so then he pulled out a map. He's like, well, where are they from? Where does he live? Look at his streets. What, is this where he is? Is this the address? Can you find this in the play? Use all the information in the play. What do they give you in the play? Read the play five times before you even start working on it. And he kind of just pulled that bar way high. I was like, okay, that's where, that's how professional actors do it. Okay. And um, then I started watching, uh, um, I'm a big fan of Gary Oldman. Oh, yeah. And, um, uh, True Romance. I liked his performance in that. And of course, Dracula. Um, yeah. And I also really like um, uh, Robert De Niro. Uh, he was pretty much one of my main guys I looked up to. Um, just because, I don't know, he, he, he's very subtle. It's 
he's he's got power and just his looks and stuff and the way he looks mm-hmm. at you and the way he looks at the other actors and the way he works it's just especially his early work like mean streets i really love that movie that that inspired me to kind of be, to be an actor taxi driver uh, raging bull hey, deer hunter um, yeah deer hunter um not not so much as those other three i was yeah. really taken with taxi driver and raging bull i, I had a huge taxi driver poster in my my room in high school on nice. one wall and on the other wall i had a huge poster of alex uh from clockwork orange uh, so i was really fascinated with anti-heroes i think mm-hmm. kind of i don't know something about uh, watching a movie with it with you know you who, you don't know who you're rooting for and you yeah. can't really identify with this main character because mm-hmm. he's not a really a good guy so who are you rooting for and then somehow the movie makes you kind of sympathize with him in a way. And so it's, it, that always fascinated me. It wasn't so cut and dry. It's just, let's have our protagonists, let's have our antagonists. You know, these are all the rules. Mm-hmm. So I, I was more into that kind of stuff, into that kind of cinema, things that break boundaries, things that were edgy. I was way into that. I loved Tarantino, all that stuff in the, in the early 90s. My dad yeah. was, uh, we put on uh, Pulp Fiction, and he he didn't really like it as much as uh, the old Scorsese stuff. Yeah. Um, especially the Reservoir Dogs scene when oh. the cop was getting his ear taken off. My dad was like, I can't watch this anymore. You gotta stop. I can't oh, yeah. watch this, man. How can you watch this? And I was like, yeah, well, it's just a movie. But um, I felt it was gratuitous kind mm-hmm. of violence. And I, I don't know. I mean, I guess, you know, it comes from a earlier time when violence wasn't so red on the screen. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. You know what I liked about Reservoir Dogs, though, and I'm not sure if you agree with this. It's, it's the fact that you you mentioned antiheroes, and in a lot of ways, I mean, almost each character in Reservoir Dogs feels like a different version of an antihero. You know, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's Mr. Pink or Mr. Blonde or Mr. Orange, who, you know, he's kind of... Who's supposed to be the hero, but he's kind of not, you know, in a way. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he, he's slipping into it. He's, he, he's almost becoming kind of a crook. And, you know, I don't know. He, he's not someone I really root for in that movie. The guy I'm rooting for in that movie is Harvey Keitel. Yes. <laughs> it's, I, he he represents almost like a uh, a persona like Bill the Butcher in Gangs of New York. Like yeah. you can, like there there are times where this guy you can tell there's an edge to him, and he shows you the edge. But then there's also times where he can feel comedic, like where he's talking about the the elements of torturing someone, and he starts with the pinky finger, right? Yeah. And then and then right after he says that, he goes, "All right, I'm hungry. Let's go get a taco." yeah no and it's that it's that thing where you know he's edgy and then all of a sudden he's relatable Mm -hmm. and he's um you can see maybe there's a good guy deep down inside there he's not all he's not all just a psychotic killer like mr blonde one thing i i was listening to a tarantino um interview and he said what he did with those movies pulp fiction and reservoir dogs was kind of give it the um Sergio Leone treatment. 
He took your classic gangster movies and made them kind of like graphic novels or kind of, you know, have the guys talking mm-hmm. about stuff like, you know, cheeseburgers in Paris and like things you wouldn't think they would be talking about. He was this kind of flashy, the way that Westerns were originally, or not originally, but, you know, before the Leone films came, the they were more kind of cut and dry, uh, gunfight at the OK Corral, things mm-hmm. like that, were more kind of like stage theater. And then Good, Bad, the Ugly comes in with that, you know, guitar and uh, kind of the junk cuts and he kind of did that with the gangster movies. So I think that's maybe why, you know, my dad wasn't so into it as much as I was because it, it, it felt fresh. It felt like mm-hmm. this is my generation of gangster movies. Yeah. You know, cook, uh, cop robber movies or whatever. So I like them both. But definitely, I think Scorsese is my favorite if I had to, had to choose. Yeah, I try not to be too hard on Scorsese with the uh, his recent commentary on the MCU and, and superhero movies. And, uh, you know, everybody's trying to pick a side in that middle school dance. And I, <laughs> I, I honestly, uh, I can respect both for what they are. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Scorsese, I, I, uh, I, I can relate or at least I, I trust him as a filmmaker because he can he can definitely balance uh, the elements of, you know, like you could if you want to say like six different groups of people in a movie and how, how they can overlap and interact and, and, and just how the conflict rises, you know, mm-hmm. consistently throughout those films. And so, yeah, do, do MCU films kind of feel formulaic at times? Yeah, they do. Yeah. But, uh, but there's different entertainment value that I don't think you should just throw away because it might follow a certain, you know, a certain step or whatever, but. No, I get I to know. pretend that I'm eight years old again when I go watch those movies. Yeah. And I get to suspend mm-hmm. my, you know, belief and go back to that time when I, you know, felt like a kid again. And it's the same thing, you know, sometimes I, you know, I like some coffee. Sometimes I, you know, you know, want, want a beer. Sometimes I want a Sprite. You know, it just depends on what you're feeling like. Maybe today I don't want to watch um Iron Man. I want to watch something heavier and more drama. Mm-hmm. Maybe today, I, uh, another day, I'm like, I don't want to get all serious. I just want something light, something I can enjoy, something that's entertainment, something that uh, plucks at all the heartstrings that, from the comic books that I remember. Um, so I think there's value in each of them. I do mm-hmm. think that Marvel and just superhero movies in general are more geared towards special effects. And that's not a bad thing because we have the ability to do that now more convincingly, I think, than in the past. Um, Although I still think that the original uh, Superman, not original, but the Superman with Christopher Reeve Mm -hmm. is still really good. I went back and watched the one and two. Some of the effects are... mm, the acting is really great, and the, yeah. the script is great. Mm-hmm. Um, he does such a good job with Clark Kent. Um, he, I don't see anybody else do Clark Kent like him. It's perfect. No, yeah, he, he is. I was say, no, Noah, you can't tell, but but this is <laughs> this is basically uh, Joe's Graceland right now, uh, completely the original Superman. <laughs> Or with you, of all people, yeah, like, yes. with you, like, oh, and 
like I could just like gush over the like the job that Richard Donner had done with the first two Superman movies because I mean those things were filmed back to back too. Like when they yeah. were done with Superman, they went right into doing Superman two, and because mm-hmm. you had that whole scene with uh, when Jarrell and the counselor going to put Zod uh, Ursa Nan into the the Phantom Zone, and it has nothing to do with the first movie. So you're just kind of right. like, okay, that was, maybe this was just throwaway. But then it's like, no, that was literally leading into movie two. And this is it was a four hour brilliant. fucking movie here. Oh, excuse my language. Yeah. Oh, you're, no, no, no. you're fine. You're, you're fine. good. Yeah, we put that explicit well, he, label. Here's another so. thing I thought was interesting about the Superman just in general is that he's the only um, hero that um, has to put on a costume to to play Clark Kent. Like, that's a costume. He's He's... He's pretending to be kind of human in a way. He's his his real clothes are the is this is the cape and the and the suit that's yeah. I thought wasn't that put in the ship with him. So yeah. n- most other superheroes they put a costume on to become the superhero, but he doesn't. He he puts a costume on to become us to become a human being. And then there lies his appreciation for for humanity. Because mm-hmm. you know, a guy with that power, he you know, he could could turn out to be a real jerk. Yeah. But it has to do with his parents too, and the way he was brought up. It's a real commentary on on family values and getting a good upbringing and, and how that can shape you. And uh, and a lot of times I feel like Clark Kent is more relatable than someone like Bruce Wayne. Because Bruce Wayne's a billionaire. He, he never really lived a life that was close to what I, you know, lived. Clark Kent, you know, he went to high school and, you know, public school and got bullied. And, you know, I relate more to that. I can understand. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think it was uh, actually in um, the, uh, the Justice League movie that we won't dwell in too much. But uh, I think... Yeah. Bruce Wayne actually has a line where he says that he was more human than any of us was. He yes. grew up in middle America. He fell in love, got a job, paid his taxes. And yeah, the way he he's says, more human. Oh, oh, geez, golly, Lois. Oh, oh geez. <laughs> he's so dorky. It's perfect. <laughs> oh, sorry there, Lois. I got to get by you to get to the ranch. Dressing now. <laughs> Make him totally Midwestern. Lois. <laughs> well you know i that's a cool point that you bring up uh in in the realm of superman because that's something joe and i also had a bit of interest in too to understand uh a little bit of of your you know where you come from and and you know growing up in montana um and you know being a traditional crow war dancer for example since the age of six and 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 understanding a little bit more of you know of your of, of, of your upbringing um because uh obviously We've we've mentioned before we're big fr- fans of Assassin's Creed three and 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 the representation that that brings and and so I, I was really curious and Joe was as well um, a, a little bit more about your early life uh, and um, and understanding a bit more about you know how how you came up in Montana from that perspective. So I lived in uh, I lived in Bozeman, which is about. Um, 150 miles away from the Crow Reservation. Mm-hmm. So I didn't grow up on a reservation. But I, I, I um, have a lot of family there, and I would go there every year throughout the year for various 
family gatherings, powwows, specifically Crow Fair, which is uh, the, the biggest uh, teepee encampment in the world. It happens on the third weekend of August every year. And there's over, you know, 1,500, 2,000 teepees that are set up. And wow. there's a powwow for, for I think, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And then um, Monday is the moving camp dance. And then Tuesday, you can uh, you can take your teepee down. If you're a solid, if you're a crow. Um, it's kind of the rule. I mean, not rule, but it's like the unspoken thing. Uh, well, it's actually spoken. They tell you, don't take your TV down until the camp dance passes by. <laughs> yeah. um, mm-hmm. You just, you just don't do that. Um, so yeah, I was about five when I first started, or six. Um, my grandfather on my mom's side had passed away when she was young, so his brother um, put my war war paint on me first. Uh, and gave me the right to dance excuse me so you have to be given the right to dance by one of your uncles or your elders mm-hmm. and the the war paint that we wear is um significant to our family so you can't yeah. just go and if you're absolutely you can't just go and put stuff on your face and go out there you just i mean I mean, I guess you could, but you're just—it's not supposed to, to. You're supposed to show respect to that. And if you see somebody wearing your paint, you can ask them, "Are you? Where are you from?" Because that's that's my family stuff. Oh, you're related to me, or whatever, you know. Um, so I got introduced to it really young, and there's this uh, this way about it. You had one of your uncles come and dance with you, and show you how to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And Absalagas are the only ones that dance that specific way, uh, that war dance style. Mm-hmm. They call it a crow traditional or war dance. Um, other tribes, if you go to a powwow through uh, anywhere in the country and you see somebody dressed like that, you know right away that they're a crow. Um, you can't always see that with other uh, regalia, uh, what tribe. Uh, different natives are um, at powwows because there's fancy dancing, there's jingle dress, there's uh, grass dancing, chicken dancing, and they're kind of all. Um, a lot of different tribes can wear those uh, regalia, but um, mm-hmm. if you're crow, you you'll see it. And the women have a traditional crow outfit as well, elk tooth dress. And you can see other tribes do also have their own things that they wear. Um, but crows, I think, are very, very easy to pick out in the crowd. And I always do it whenever I go to a palace. I say, where's all the crows? I can see them. Oh, there's two down there. And there's one over there. And uh, it's specific to that style of uh, dress and the way that, they, and the way that move, you move. Um, so I got taught all that. And... I continued to dance up until I was about 17, right before I left to go to LA. And then I, I haven't I haven't danced since. And I came back to look at my outfit and well, I put on a couple pounds since I was 17. <laughs> so I'm, not, I'm trying to get another one together, but it takes a lot of work to make that bead work. Um, yeah. It's a big order, it's, it's expensive and 
Um, my mom can do it, but uh, I, you know, she's got so much to do. I don't really want to <laughs> swamp her with it. Mm-hmm. Um, mom, <laughs> you know, <laughs> anywhere to be with mom. <laughs> she's already helping me with like smaller stuff. Um, stuff I, I got a new hat. She she did some bead work on that, and um, you know, bolo ties and belt buckles and things like that. But for a war dance outfit, you you got a lot. There's a lot you work on there, so it'll take it'll take some time to get that figured out. And meanwhile, she's making outfits for her grandchildren or my nephews so i just gotta get in line basically <laughs> mm-hmm. um but yeah i i i i did it and i enjoyed it when i was little it was really it was hard and the the outfit was very heavy that's attached to your your head by your hair the headdresses yeah. Uh, you braid your hair and you put it through this hole and then it's attached, secured by your hair. And I can always, I can remember going, man, this hurts my head. It's pulling my hair. And, um, it's hard work. And mm-hmm. it's not just uh, put it on there and go out there and jump around. It's, there's specific mo- motions and specific ways you have to conduct yourself when you, and it's an honor to, to be given that right to do that. So the older I got, the more I saw. When I was a little kid, I I, 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 didn't, I didn't know what was going on. They were just putting all this stuff on me. I was about five or six. And all right, stand over by the TV. We're taking a picture. And I was sitting there and holding everything up. And it, it's, a, it's a real honor to, to be involved in that and to be shown that um, mm-hmm. part of our culture. And I don't really know too much about my Blackfeet side. I, I really only know um, most of my... Uh, knowledge from my tribe is mm-hmm. Absalaga. And then, like, I think 2020, I, I took some classes at the um, Little Bighorn Community College and learned uh, uh, Crow kinship um, and uh, language. I took a language class and a Crow kinship class. And, and that was really, uh, really cool because it opened my eyes uh, about a lot of the language, how the language is used, and also uh, opened my eyes on uh, immigrate, our, our um, origin story and uh, mm-hmm. how we came about and how we came to be to be where we are here in Montana now. Mm-hmm. So in leaving Los Angeles and coming back here and reconnecting with all those old feelings I had when I was a, when I was a young boy, and I'm really happy I did too. Now I live in Montana about 40 miles from the res uh, in a place called Billings. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where I am now. And I go back uh, over there a lot more because I'm closer. So mm-hmm. it's nice. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, uh, I was, was going to point out that um, uh, I've never seen your Instagram photo of you in your backyard and it being absolutely gorgeous. Is that, is that in Billing or is that in, on the res? Okay. So which one is that? Okay. I think I know what you're talking about. That's that uh, by that big lake. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's Highlight Reservoir, and that is in Bozeman, and that's oh, about okay. fifteen. It's about eight miles from my house, from my dad's house where I grew up. Oh, literally your backyard then. Okay. Yeah. You you just drive about eight miles up this little canyon, and it gets to this uh, Highlight Reservoir, and they can boat on there and 
tons of hikes, hiking trails and everything. Where I grew up is absolutely just gorgeous. And when I was growing up here, I was like, ah, I didn't really appreciate it. And then mm -hmm. I went to LA and I got there and it was just so dirty compared to where I was. Uh, the streets were just like trash and it just smelled, you know, certain areas smelled like, you know, human defecation or whatever you call it. Well, and the smog too, you know, the, and the smog, smog and yeah. the traffic and this, 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 this crime. And it really made me appreciate where I grew up um, coming back here. Uh, and then my dad still has that house over in Bozeman. I go over there and stay uh, now and again. And, Every time I go over there, I'm like, man, I'm lucky to grow up here. Um, his dad, my dad, his dad, and his dad, the third generation from this Montana area. Um, so, yeah, and then on my mom's side, Crow people have been around here for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. So it's really, it's, it is home. I mean, even though I spent so much time in L.A., this is where, this is where home is for me. And I don't know if I can go back now. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't really I, miss LA anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't blame you at all, Noah, because um, obviously the photos are, are gorgeous. Um, but my, my dad was in the military for 30 years. And so we lived in Boise, Idaho for about two and a half of that. Um, mm -hmm. all, all the while, my dad had been obsessed with General Custer since he was a boy. Uh, and so we spent a lot of time visiting museums and uh, you know, going to the, the Little Bighorn, going to the Custer Museum. You've been there then. That's Crow area. Yeah. That's yeah. The Battle of the Bighorn is on Crow land. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Trip out. You've been there. That's cool, man. Yeah. When I mentioned that we were we were talking to you, uh, my dad immediately just just jumped on it. And, and he starts, he starts talking about Custer and, and how, uh, how, how they helped him scout and everything while, while they were there. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it is beautiful country. I, the time I spent out there, even when I was like a, you know, a preteen and teenager, um, that, that scenery stuck with me. I mean, it's, 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 uh, you can't get it anywhere else in, in the United States. Yeah, it's, it, it's, um, I, I had a friend come from Europe and stay with me over there in Bozeman and around this area. And, and I remember them saying, it's like you live inside a postcard. <laughs> yeah. It's so beautiful here. It's like, it's, it's beyond that. And then you have Yellowstone um, National Park, which is about 80 miles from where my house is in Bozeman. So West Yellowstone's there. I mean, that's what, that's where our family trips were. Instead of Disneyland or, you know, some amusement parks, mm -hmm. we'd go to Yellowstone or we'd go to Swan Creek and camp. Um, so that's kind of, you know, that's, that's mountain, mountain boy. <laughs> uh, I, that's what I loved about, uh, getting to explore that part of the United States, because there were times where we would just be looking for a place to drop a fishing pole. It's, it's not that we, you know, we're looking for a landmark or something crazy, but you would just turn a corner, go up a, a hill a little bit. And the next thing you know, you are looking at a postcard, like you mentioned. I mean, yeah. uh, and and uh, it. I'll, I'll put it this way: there are times where I really want to watch a movie that's like frontier era, or you know, where there's just snow covering everything, and and like uh, the Revenant kind of satisfied 
that imagery for me, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so it's like, I can't go back to Boise right now or the area, but I <laughs> yeah. can watch the Revenant and get a taste of it again. You know, mm-hmm. have um, you ever seen uh, little big man? Little big man. Mm-hmm. Not ringing yeah, a bell. Check that out. That, that was filmed around here and okay. uh, it stars um, Dustin Hoffman. Okay. And uh, <laughs> it's a it's a really it's a really good movie. It's comedy. It's drama. It's um it's one of his one of his best performances, I think. Uh, he plays this kind of frontier boy who gets attacked by a certain type of certain tribe, like mm-hmm. Pawnee, and he's left for dead with his sister. And then these Cheyennes come along and adopt him and raise him as a as a Cheyenne brave. Um, and, uh, some of my family members in there, my mom's in there, my aunt's in there as extras and background, uh, um, workers. So you should check a little big man out. If you haven't seen that movie, that's, that's one of the, like you said, you can see the, the environment. I won't spoil it for you. It's one of Dustin Hoffman's. I mean, if you like Dustin Hoffman, definitely on that train. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, backtracking a little bit, you had mentioned how um, you said a few years ago you were taking language classes um, um, for Crow, and because we couldn't not we we couldn't not talk about actually your involvement in Assassin's Creed Three, um, you had to also take um, was it basically like language on the fly for Mohawk when you were working on Assassin's Creed Three? Yeah. I had to basically what they had was well there was a couple of different people advising um, that's why some people do mention it and I agree with them I do pronounce the the name of Connor differently um, because I was told one way when I first got there and then they got a new guy in and he told me it was a different way <laughs> about uh, about uh, halfway through making it mm-hmm. uh, and then. Then you hear the, uh, I think in the DLC, the grandmother, the 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 elder elder woman says it in another kind of a way, and <laughs> I I get that same thing when I'm trying to speak Crow around mm-hmm. here. There are different regions around here, and they speak different styles of Crow, uh, in in the same way that you would have different dialects of, say. English in in America or uh, in in England, there's different dialects of uh, British accents. It's, it's similar. Um, when I first started working and learning, the teacher was like, "Well, I'm from Bighorn District, so you guys are gonna learn how to speak it like a Bighorn District person." Yeah. Oh, okay. And then when I go to try to talk to my uncles who are from Pryor or somewhere else there's a well that's not how you're supposed to say it everybody knows how to say it right so you just, yeah. you just gotta just whoever you're around you just gotta kind of okay you're right you're right, you're right. <laughs> so i kind of see the similarities between the, mm-hmm. the mohawk language I, I i'm i'm pretty sure they'll have they have some of the similar type of things going on over over there mm-hmm. um but you know, I spent a day or two days in a vocal booth with uh, a speaker, a Mohawk speaker, right there next to me, and uh, it was difficult. That's a difficult language. Um, 
I'd, I, I'd say uh, Navajo is pretty, uh, Diné is pretty, uh, pretty difficult as well. I've spoken many different uh, tribal languages, you know, few lines here and there for movies and plays and stuff. And Mohawk is, and Diné are, are the two that I have the most trouble with. <clears throat> but um, especially uh, Diné, it's got some different sounds in there. That's where my dad lives now. He lives in Shiprock or near Shiprock, uh, New Mexico. And uh, on the Navajo Res, so I go down there, and uh, I get to be immersed in the Navajo culture, Diné culture. And uh, his wife is uh, full full blood Diné. She speaks the language. She's traditional. So it's you know it's like a whole other culture. I, I don't know know nothing about, but you know it's a, it's a similar thing with Mohawks and uh, mm -hmm. and uh, all the other different tribes in the in the United States. Yeah. Uh, you know, Joe and I actually have been debating a little bit over how to pronounce Connor's, you know, Connor's name, because as you've mentioned, it's, 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 uh, there's like maybe three or four different ways that, yeah, that you can say it, or at least other, that, that people have said it in the games. Um, I mean, my which, favorite which... is, uh, <laughs> 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 how, how, uh British guy, that guy said it. Uh, okay. Oh, okay. He tried that. He tried it a bunch of times, and I like, no, it's not that. Sounds like. Then he got to the lines like, ah, whatever. I'm just gonna say <laughs> <laughs> So, oh, so gosh. the elder, the elder woman, she pronounced. If my memory is right, she pronounced it. Like it's real long, mm -hmm. kind of drawn out. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think it's more like that. I haven't said that in a while. That's what I think it is. Um, but again, I, I'm not a Mohawk fluent speaker. I think the best person to ask that is somebody, somebody in the uh, in the tribe. Yeah. When I first said it, mm -hmm. I was told to say Rodohangedon, which is sounds a lot different to me. That's the way the first guy told me to say it. And yeah. when somebody tells me to say something or like a language or something, I always mm -hmm. write it down. I phonetically write it out. So I catch what they're saying. I'm pretty good at mimicking people. When yeah. I said it like that, it's like, all right, you're good. And then the new guy came in and said, oh, no, that ain't it. It's this. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, whatever. I mean, I can't argue with it. <laughs> yeah. I don't speak the language. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, this is kind of where we we did plan to dive into you know this uh, this part of your career a little bit because um, once again we're we're big fans of Assassin's Creed Three. Uh, I I will confess to you Noah that the first time I played it, I did play so little of Assassin's Creed Three because I was frustrated in learning the new combat system and all this stuff that um, Achilles was actually dead but still alive somehow in my game because I'd done so few side quests. It was just a really <laughs> a really strange thing. Um, but but the story of your involvement with with the franchise uh, did it start with you thinking that you were just auditioning for a period piece drama? Yeah, well, I walked into a casting office and it was called um, American History or something like that or Revolutionary War. The title of it was something like that, and 
I got the script and it was these really long speeches and I, I didn't understand well, how is this a movie? How is well, this guy is just going on on these monologues <laughs> mm-hmm. and I didn't want to memorize it. I'm not going to get this role. I don't look like that. I don't have that, um, that uh, I have, a, I have, I had a contemporary look at the time. Um, I had real short hair. I was going out for, all sorts of different ethnicities, all the, all mm-hmm. sorts of different backgrounds. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I wanted to be open. I wanted to be able to be open like that. I didn't want to just play an 1860s native on the prairie on a horse, you know, wind in my hair. Um, and besides that, I'm not full. So, uh, you know, I don't have that real... Um, traditional type of look so i i i, I pass it off i'm not going to get this why am i going to memorize this it's not going to do me any good they're not going to hire me i don't know why they want me to do this i was actually a little upset you know my manager's like dude just go in there they they're asking for you go in there give it your best shot i went in there and i, I read it off the paper and the casting director was like you're you're good you um you need to memorize it though so come back come back memorize that whole speech uh, the writer is going to be there uh, such and such day. He got like four days. Oh, I grumbled. I said, okay, sure. Thank you. And then I left. And said, I don't memorize this. I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I went and I memorized it. And the more I started reading, I was like, this is freaking Assassin's Creed. How is this not Assassin's Creed? Why is this a movie? Is this a movie Assassin's Creed? This guy is talking about Templars. Yeah. And I played AC mm-hmm. one, and I played AC two, and Brotherhood. And I knew I, I was like, "This is, this is not. Is this a movie?" About this? I didn't know what it was. <laughs> mm-hmm. I got through three or four more auditions, callbacks. The writer was in there. I can't can't remember his name. God, I should remember his name. Um, one of the writers. There was it wasn't Corey. It was a, it was another yeah. writer. I think because Corey May was done after was he done after Brotherhood or Revelations? I can't remember when Corey May dropped off. No, he was in the room. He was writing for three. Oh, he was. Okay, cool. I remember sitting in a room with him doing table reads. It was another guy. I can't remember his name. It wasn't Alex, and it wasn't Dave Wilkinson. It was. uh, Ah, hope he doesn't listen to this. Um, <laughs> he didn't look at me at all. Like he, he was sitting there. They had a camera on. He, he, he was just in his notebook. He didn't look up once. I mean, I, I could see him you know, out of the corner of my eye while I'm delivering. I was like, this dude is not even looking at me. And so while I'm acting in my mind, I'm like, well, that was a waste of time. I'm real glad I memorized that whole monologue. He's not even paying attention. And then I asked him later, and he says, man, you're doing so good. I didn't want to throw you off. <laughs> and he was throwing you off the whole time. Yeah, you should have been looking at me, and I would have been even better, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then they, uh, they finally told me, and they were like, "Well, as they see, Assassin's Creed is a video game. We're sorry. I know we we understand if you don't want to do it." Like, I was like, "No, I, I, I'm not. I'm not interested." In my mind, I'm like, heck yeah. <laughs> To play cool, do you know what? Do yeah. You don't seem like you're too into them. Yeah, I had to play it cool, man. So I was like, I'm, in my mind, I'm like, all right, I'm getting some free video games. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just like petting a cat, you got to act like you don't want it. It's like, nope, yeah, nope. Exactly. Gonna... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And you, 
Well, and that's that's something we wanted to dive into as well because you provided the motion capture for the game as well, so you got mm -hmm. to you know build a little bit more of yourself into it than you would have if you're just behind the mic. I mean, uh, I guess how mm -hmm. how, de how demanding was the motion capture and and uh, yeah, I guess your experiences with that. I didn't really like it at all. I thought it was awkward and weird. Um, the first the first uh, session it was about like a couple weeks, I guess. I uh, went up to Montreal and um, put this wetsuit on, and the helmet cans were connected at that time. They weren't wireless. And they, oh. they got wireless later, but the very beginning, they were wired, and somebody had to walk around behind me holding my cables. There's about two or three big cables oh to hold on to. Um, because the helmet cam, you know, the face cam is right in your face. It's like this block right in your face. Um, it takes you out of it completely as an actor. It's 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 really much more difficult to, to work like that than to get a good costume. Because like I said earlier, when I build characters, I, I use the, the clothes and the shoes and the and everything dictates the way you walk and move. So I had to, so I had to think about what I would be wearing. And but then I didn't even know what that was because they hadn't finished making it. So it's like, well, uh, you know, it, it's not how a movie or a theater or a stage, it's not how that was made. They, they were kind of new to it. Um, uh, the, I remember getting ready to start a scene the day before and they gave me like 60 pages uh, the night before. I'm like, there's oh no God. way we're getting through all of this. What do you guys think we're getting through all of this? And then I'm supposed to memorize all of this. That's like a whole play. Um, so I came the first day and I was like, this, I mean, I told them, like, we can try, but we're not getting past like 10, 10 15 pages. Um, and that's a good day. Mm -hmm. That's a good day on the set. Like, that's a lot of work. Because you got to work these scenes out. You got to work with the other actors. You got to find the moments. You can't just go in there and read it and then move on. Um, and I think before they were really hiring actors to come in and wear the mocap suit. They were hiring like movement specialists, mimes, and uh, people who were into that movement stuff. And then they would have the voice done in Los Angeles. So they're telling me this is like one of the earlier times when we wanted to get actors in here. And uh, so I use that as a, as a way to. Um, build the character uh, in the way he moves because he doesn't really say a lot, you know, in the scripts, mm -hmm. all the monologues are all these um, British guys. And he kind of, yeah. kind of gets sent here and sent there. And, um, and he's like, to me, he's like Batman, you know, his, his parents are, I mean, his parents yeah. are gone. He doesn't have that. He's, he's hooked on um, revenge and, uh, maybe a sense of vigilante, um, straightforward, no joking around. You watch your mom get murdered in front of you, burned to death, and, you know, I don't know, it's just going to change you. So I put that into it, and the way he moved, um, not letting anybody touch him, you know, all these things uh, give you a sense of who a person is without him having to say anything. Just by the way he moves around. So I tried to put a lot of the subtleties into it. And um, it's it's much more difficult not having a costume, not having the set. 
you have to really use your imagination. Yeah. And uh, the director, Dave, he, he wasn't even saying like action, cut. He was like, okay. Just, just, and, just go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then, gosh. And then over on the other side, there's like people working because it's in the volume. There'd be mm -hmm. like a big table. And there'd be people on their laptops over there. And they're just chatting away over there. Wow. And so, um, it was the first day, and I and I I, I, I said, "Dave, we gotta go get a beer and talk about this." Um, when you when you're working as an actor, everybody's got to be quiet when we're doing mm -hmm. our lines and our scenes. It has to be the most important thing in the world at that yeah. moment. It has to be that way. Everybody's got to be quiet, and you got to use the word action. And you got to use the word cut. Because those are like those Pavlovian, like the bell for the dog. Like when I hear action, I get like, I'm just yeah. conditioned as an actor to go, when that, when I hear that action, I, all right, get into it, get into it. Mm -hmm, Whatever yeah. it is, it's just like, it sets me into it. And then I go and I stay in there until he says cut. And that's just how you're trained as an actor. And they just didn't know that. They, they're, they're, they were bridging the gap between games and film and yeah. trying to make a bunch of little movies that's what those little cinematics mm -hmm. are it's like 11 hours of just like little cut movies yeah and and i and, and dave was like i'm sorry man I, I just didn't know i didn't i don't know i was like right, well this is what we need this is what i need and this is everything's gonna be good and next day it, it changed less pages we focused on the scenes more and i think it came out great man yeah, yeah, I agree. And one thing that I've always, um, when I've worked with uh, with local theater stuff, we've we've talked. It's like the like, as a performer, you're building this small, incredibly immersive but fragile world that everyone is invested into, and the smallest thing can break you and take you out of that world. And you don't want someone's cell phone going off during a performance or people talking loudly because everyone is invested in what's on stage. And when you have even the smallest thing happen it can suck you right out of that. And that's the last thing you want happening during a performance. So I, I can't imagine like I got working angry. an entire day. Yeah. yeah. I got, I got really angry when it first started happening. Um, I just, I, we were doing a scene and they were talking and I just stopped and I, I just looked at him and I just kept staring at him. And Dave's like, uh, Noah, are, are you good? And I just didn't say anything. I just kept looking at the people who were talking. Until they realized that I was looking at him and Dave was looking at him. And they're like, oh, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so just respect the volume, respect the performance. Yeah. Because if you don't respect the performance, and I'm not going to give you the best possible thing. And that's what we're all here for. We're all here to make the best possible product together. Yeah. And, and to I, yeah. Oh, see, I, I completely like I'm with you with it. You I think you made one of the best products out there like that. That game like hit me at the perfect time in my life where I came home from work every day and I just I was in in Connor's shoes until I went to bed with minimal time to eat, like in between me doing things. <laughs> so you you helped build an incredible character. And doesn't that mean like a life that is scratched? Well, it could mean life scratcher or one that scratches at his life or one that tears at his life there's like again multiple takes on that from different people um i like 
uh, one who scratches at his life. I think that's mm -hmm. what it was. Yeah, it was. Um, it was quite a change up from the from the brotherhood, mm -hmm. and I don't think people were ready for that. And I think it was jarring because of how opposite you know, Connor is. It reminds me of this Charlie Hill joke. This uh, stand-up comedian that I had the pleasure of working with. Um, he was one of the first Native comics to to get on the Richard Pryor show back in the seventies as a stand-up comedian. Mm -hmm. And um, he came out and he did his bed and he goes, uh, well, you got a lot of you guys out there, you, white people, you didn't think uh, natives were into doing comedy, huh? And didn't think we were, you know, had a sense of humor. Well, we didn't think you were very funny either. <laughs> <laughs> No, I love how you bring up mm -hmm. uh, the the era that was Assassin's Creed at that time because mm -hmm. Joe and I uh, we started this podcast as an idea because we were talking on the phone all the time, and and one of the things that I always brought up was that bridge point between Ezio and and Connor because yes, I'm an I'm an Ezio fanboy. I, I don't even pretend to hide it. I mean, a lot of folks were. Um, and, and I don't know, I, I mean, at that point in time, you're right. I, I don't know if I was ready to, uh, truly walk away, you know, from, from Ezio, but, but the, <laughs> been working a long time, but the, 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 the contrast in the characters though, ended up becoming one of the strongest aspects of, of three for me, because we've broken down themes before how, you know, Assassin's Creed, uh, Ezio was, was, you know, a tale of revenge that went to more of a justice driven narrative. And, and then you're like understanding who you were in that world and in your purpose. Right. And, and Connor goes through the same journey, um, in, I mean, even though it's technically not like only a couple of weeks or anything, but like he goes through that same type of journey within that game. And, mm -hmm. and so for him to be able to balance all of that and, and still stand for, for you know for what's right and and you know stand on his feet at the end of it and 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 proudly you know look back it's 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 a it's a powerful journey and i i'm, I'm mirroring joe here i really appreciate you know the what we got out of that because um it's 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 the fastest selling assassin's creed game for a reason you know mm -hmm. <laughs> it yeah. captivated a lot of people i i think it was people weren't ready for were really they were they needed that something like that but it it's kind of um i don't know it was painful i think you know to see that kid screaming for his mom like i didn't feel like that in, in mm -hmm. any other game oh but I, I i i think it's because i have more of a connection to the natives uh, but i it just it didn't feel, it felt more, it just felt more heavy, more weight. Mm -hmm. In in playing Ezio's story, it was more, it, it just was lighter. It just didn't, it didn't make me feel so, um, didn't give me the feels in the same way. Mm -hmm. um, and that's probably done by us because I'm, you know, I played the character, I did the character, but <laughs> as, a, as a gamer, I just, Ezio was, he was just, very cool and, and 
you know, ladies man, it seemed, and renaissance man, and um, it just, I needed that. I, I was done with that character. It was, they pushed it as far as he, he could go. I thought, I thought it was enough. And turns out they wanted more of it. And then what's interesting to me is now after years have gone by, people are complaining about every new character that comes out. And, and then going back and well, Connor was actually pretty good. So, yeah, yeah, you just weren't ready for it. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you, you were, you had your security blanket. His name was Ezio and he was your pal. And you, you went mm -hmm. through all these things. Now you want me to not play him anymore? I got this new guy. I don't really relate to him. I'm not native. I don't know. And then there are some people who really got into it overwhelmingly, just were completely immersed in it, like you were saying. And I, I like that type of reaction. Mm -hmm. I want a reaction that's severe, that's big. I don't want to, meh, it was all right. Yeah. Nobody remembers that, you know, either you hate it or you loved it. Mm -hmm. I'd rather one of those two. Yeah. Know? And and like you said, like maybe people weren't ready for Connor um, when when he came out in 2012, but certainly people now looking back in retrospective are changing their mind. So do you think, um, I guess, what would you think Connor's like legacy or impacting on the video game world is? Well, I believe it's the first main character in a AAA game played by Native and using real language and culture and and that's never happened before in any game that was the first time i ever i i as far as i know i mean there's prey but that was um, yeah. ambiguous and that's just that's that's just insulting to do that um there's also another game that just came out like past couple of years and you play some just ambiguous tribe that's kind of like a plains indian and you go around killing um pioneers and i don't know what it's called um but that's just that's that's back that's taking steps backwards mm -hmm. doing that kind of yeah. stuff taking steps forward is respecting the culture using the language mm -hmm. um th those are important things and that's part of the, that the tribe's identity and their culture and everything um if you just blanket across with this just well he's indian or he's native and there's no language um well then it's just it's just not deep and it's just it's fake it's fake yeah. i i can feel it um not everybody can feel it necessarily but i think if you're gonna do something like that you, you gotta do it that way and that's what they that's what dc did uh mm -hmm. we saw and i commend them for that for taking that um risk in a way that was a risk for them they could have just made a Haytham game, you know, yeah. um, it was very, in a, it was very, very bold thing to do. And I'm, I'm eternally grateful. And I think it has a huge impact on younger generation, younger kids. I saw a picture of the, they had the bits of the AC in some museum or something, yeah. uh, because it has uh, the culture in there. And I've seen these little kids like five and six looking up at the screen. I mean, it's going to live on, you know, it's going to have its place and people will come around and, and, and they'll, they'll, they'll appreciate for what it was and what it did. Yeah. The yeah. portrayals of life is what I, we, we've even talked about uh, quite a few times is how 
is how you get to see how these characters lived and and not just being you know referenced as a you know a character trait right like you mentioned and and so i thought that was one of the, the coolest aspects of the tutorial of this game as as connor was is to explore his life and get to actually see how he lived and and how he interacted with his people and and that yeah that was a, a core strength of of this series um th this may seem like a a hard bank and, and no i apologize in advance but what was your thoughts on connor sharing a horse with with paul revere I, I just I, I've always wanted to ask that question, and I to the left, Connor. <laughs> oh man, I like the actor who played Paul Revere. I loved all mm -hmm. the actors that I got to work with. Um, everybody was really awesome, and I thought it was a little awkward that it was. On the Why can't we have two? Yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> two horses, maybe. I, <laughs> I'm happy we asked the same questions. Yep. No, they're, they're everywhere. Like they're, they're the Ford Focus of yep. the yep. of the animal right. world in that video right. game. We could get two horses. <laughs> oh, yeah, great. man, that was it. Was rich. I mean, and, and not to mention, it was it had you know all these characters from our history, from American history. I mean, there's so much going on in there. And like you said, you played just the main story pretty much. And a lot of people did that. They bypassed all the homestead missions. Like they bypassed all of the side quests that really actually gave you a sense of a, of a different uh, character, mm -hmm. you know, more of the work I did give him different layers and subtleties. If you just play the main story, you're not going to get, you're not going to get all the character. You're just mm -hmm. going to get how he's relating to these rich white dudes who are ordering him around and slave owners and you know like yeah, yeah. It, it, you're only going to get how he interacts with them so mm -hmm. if you haven't played the homestead missions it'll open up a whole other side to connor that time you wouldn't get yeah you know? yeah absolutely and um speaking of like uh looking at opening with their sides one thing that we have also been wanting to talk about tonight is your music career you talked about earlier how like playing guitar and snare drum was kind of just a hobby but now you are you have your own band you've developed this this sound that's rock and roll blues and at the same time something that is truly unique uh with your sound so how did you make that gap from or junk that gap from music being a hobby to being something that you truly enjoy doing now? Um, I started, I was working at a restaurant, um, town and country, bakery, restaurant, coffee shop, and these other waiters uh, there, I, I had playing, been playing guitar and they were, they were frantic. Uh, we need a guitar player. Our guitar players dropped out. Does anybody know a guitar player? I, said, well, I can play guitar. And, All right, come over after work. We're going to go. We got a gig tomorrow. I was going to get thrown into it. I'll oh. give you 50. I'll give you 100 bucks. <laughs> it's all right. All right. It was easy enough. Um, mm -hmm. And then I started playing as a hired gun for different um, bands. I think I played in three or four different bands. Mm -hmm. um, just is coming in and, you know, doing what you tell me, paying me money. And then I got, um, I started having to do more work than I was getting paid. I was mm -hmm. writing lyrics. I was writing melodies. I wasn't getting credit for writing songs. Um, and so I just quit the last band. I'm like, I'm not going to do this anymore because <laughs> I'm not 
it's not taking me anywhere it's not my songs um mm-hmm. so i started writing uh songs and uh trying to get together some, one of my own kind of you know band or whatever and um so i met another guy at work uh, he was a, he's a he he was a session guitarist and a very skilled guitarist um jeff Kraft. he he produced the the second album that i did and plays on it and introduced me to all of these professional musicians and the ones i've been working with before were not that level of mm-hmm. players and it, it, it brought my level up just by being around and trying to keep up with them and to write songs that, that they would enjoy playing and that they could you know make better um so he and i got together and we just we started making that nickels and bones and he brought in uh norwood fisher from fishbone and um alex bailey from the marcus miller band and and um uh, all these other you know great drummers and other players and singers and i had a great time and um we did a third album and that one was a little different it wasn't really my i I just did the lyrics and Mm -hmm. vocals of that um but now that i've moved moved back here i uh, i've kind of switched gears and i'm starting something new with a with a couple new um, new musicians up here one of them is also crow and it's it is more like i would say um tool and pink floyd and oh. Jimi hendrix and um punk rock kind of put together yeah so i and i also just got a new uh, amplifier for my birthday my um my longtime childhood friend's father is a musician and from the 60s and 70s he gifted me this um, 1967 super reverb uh, fender amplifier they're very rare and it's Mm -hmm. my new sound and uh i've been working for about um, three four months with a, a new drummer a uh, new bass player getting getting a couple more players coming in and we're writing songs now it's a whole new band it's got a whole new name we're gonna have a whole new uh, i'm gonna have a whole new presentation and i'm gonna kind of reserve the the other nickels and bones stuff to do more mm-hmm. of the traditional like like you said blues psychedelic punk blues uh kind of 60s kind of vibe yeah that's what i was going for for that mm-hmm. so i i got my hand my fingers and a lot of different pies right now i'm trying to branch out and just play with as many people as i can mm-hmm. what i love about playing music is it's like having a conversation but you don't have words you can you can talk to each other with sounds and when i do something it'll influence you to do something to change the way you play or Mm-hmm. You'll up my game here, up my game there. And I mean, I just got done watching that Beatles Get Back documentary on Disney. And I just, I yeah. loved it. I was not, never a Beatles fan really at all. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just, I'm going down a wormhole. Like, <laughs> like about four or five <laughs> albums. I'm just listening to mm-hmm. them. And I've got a whole new resurgence of uh, music again. Um, I was kind of taking a little bit of a break when I just met these people. and things just started falling into place like this. 
And I know that's just kind of how things are. You can't really force things. Mm -hmm. Things will come along and you just have to recognize it. You have to say, there's an opportunity there. There's something I can do. That really inspires me. Instead of just sitting back and doing nothing about it, pick up a guitar, go out there. Yeah. I've got to say, Noah, your your voice, uh, your singing voice is extremely, uh, you know, distinct. And I was always trying to figure out how to explain the the sounds that I am interpreting, you know, through through your voice, because um, there were times where I feel like you've almost got like a, a mix of like uh, like Eddie Vedder and like Chris Cornell at the same time. Like you can you can you can hold tones like they both would, but in the same, in the same song. Like it's, it's, uh, I'm trying to think of specifically like, um, and like strange time to be is one of the songs that I've listened to where I just almost got this, like, I, I don't know if ethereal is the right word, but like your, your voice really can like stop you mm -hmm. in your tracks. Like, and I, I really enjoy, uh, getting to hear your, your work like that. Cause it's, uh, it is an experience. It's, it's really fun music to listen to. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. I've been compared to, um, so it's funny. Some people say uh, you sound like Tom Waits. Some people say <laughs> you sound like uh, Ian, Ian Pace. Um, he was, is, that, is that his name? Is Deep Purple, I guess. Was it? No, that's not it. Mm -hmm. No, it wasn't that. It was a different, I can't remember. Somebody told me it was a 90s band. I can't remember his name. Um, and then I got I've gotten Jim Morrison before. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know about that. I can no. get on with that. Um, what happened was I was singing in my throat a lot mm -hmm. before I first started singing. Um, and I got what was hanging out with Jeff and he brought me to this jam session in, in LA, Ventura Boulevard. Great drummers in there, everybody's in there. I step up with a microphone, and it's so loud I can't hear myself. So I just I just belted it from you know from where you're supposed to sing from your stomach mm -hmm. from your gut and um it just went through and i was like well that's how it's got to be now that's yeah. that's it that's, yeah I was, I was forced to do it because i couldn't hear myself so i had to like really put put it out there and then jeff afterwards was like yeah that was good man use your announcer voice <laughs> that's what he called it it's your announcer voice mm -hmm. go ahead Say it real loud, Noah. You're an outer voice. <laughs> All right, buddy. You want people out there to think that you need pictures of Spider-Man. That's what you need to be doing. But what I what I really start listening to is um, Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf. Those are the two that I really like a lot. Those guys, um, especially Howlin' Wolf, my favorite by by far. Um, that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> it's not it's not sounding like that but it's it's really an old blues voice is what, mm -hmm. what i'm trying to do it's like muddy helen um john lee hooker um, i mean you know you, you you can connect the dots yeah and mm -hmm. it's just like an homage to those guys but then to bring in punk rock sounds heavier distorted tones um and Jimi Hendrix is pretty much the reason why I started playing guitar. If it wasn't for him, I don't think I would have picked a guitar. Um, Wayne's World, Foxy Lady. When I heard that song, I was like 10 or 9. <laughs> what is that, Dad? <laughs> Son, that's Jimi Hendrix. And he brought me over to his LP collection, played uh, Electric Lady Land for me. 
I was hooked and went out and bought a tape and a CD. And I just wanted to learn how to make sounds like that. I got I to learn how to do that somehow. I'll figure it out. I'm still trying to this day. I can't figure it out. But I'm getting close. I think I'm getting somewhere. That's the thing about music is mm-hmm. you can't ever, you'll never stop. It'll always, you'll always have something else to do. Always have something else to learn. And when I'm 80, I'll be like, well, have, aren't you done yet? No, I think I'm yeah. getting somewhere. Mm-hmm. I think I'm getting somewhere now. Well, I think uh, while while you're still figuring out what that is, um, again, you're doing an amazing job at it. And I think that when when people say that your your sound or your voice reminds them of these these other musicians, what I hope that it's actually doing is your music is able to take them back to the time when they first heard those musicians, like when you first heard Jimmy and you just fell in love with it, and that you're doing the, that same thing for those people because that's what it's like to me. That's what it's like listening to your music. It just transports you and takes you out of your day and allows you to really connect with what's going on with your sound. Wow, that's great, man. I, I really appreciate it. I'm getting red over here, guys. <laughs> I mean, well, all that Connor talk and how, how great that game was, I don't really care. But when you talk about my music, you're pulling my heart strings, buddy. <laughs> it's the one thing that I really care about. Um, when I'm acting, I'm doing somebody else's words. When I'm playing music, it's like my poems. It's my songs. It's much more personal. Yeah. If somebody says they don't like it, <laughs> it hurts so much more. If somebody says they don't like Connor, it ain't my fault. I didn't write it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, we'll we'll definitely share your music with you know with mm-hmm. our our dissection crew, the 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 audience or the witnesses as we call them. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. But uh, but yeah, we'll we'll definitely plug uh, some of your your music there, and you know Noah. We we want to congratulate you. You've survived an experience with digital dissection joining us here. Uh, <laughs> Man, it was uh, wonderful, guys. Yeah. You guys are really cool and easy to talk to. I had a great time. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, we, we've had just as good a time. And mm-hmm. you know, when we wrap up, what we like to do here is offer you the floor to, you know, tell folks about what you've got going on and, and what's happening here, uh, you know, coming up in your life. Well, I've um I got some games I worked on, but I can't talk about them. That's the problem. Ooh. They're not out mm-hmm. yet, but I have been doing some voice for a couple of new games, and um, I got this new band I'm doing, but I can't talk about it. So uh, <laughs> I just say, you know, check out, you know, the the music that I have going on, Nickels and Bones, and uh, I do stream on Twitch now and again, play some games. So if you guys are interested in hanging out and having a good laugh and watching me fail at Dying Light. <laughs> oh man hey, I, you're getting one I, step I, closer to striving that apocalypse when it happens playing that I, game th- that is an easy game to fail in by the way yeah. i just want to say like don't feel bad no because mm-hmm. i remember just playing through the tutorial of of, of dying light uh, i was so terrified to have to oh, yeah. go out there in the dark the first time oh yeah uh, my hands get sweaty every time i oh. sit like in the dark when i get sweaty i'm like my heart's thumping i'm like dude what is this a video game? I gotta put this down, man. This is too much. <laughs> the second one is great. The second one is great. Yeah. Oh man. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Noah Watts, mm-hmm. we uh, we look forward to, to seeing your appearances here in, in upcoming games and share your music as well. Thank you so yes, much, Noah. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Well, Joe, I think it goes without saying that we 
Oh, an incredible thank you to Noah Watts for joining us on this kickoff of season two of Digital Dissection. Noah, seriously, you are a fantastic creator. We, we can't wait to see more of your work, especially your music and some of the uh, to be named later projects that he couldn't go into. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am excited to see what he comes up with next. And I think I'm going to have to watch a lot more of his Twitch stream to see how he does uh, in the apocalypse as he continues with Dying Light 2. Those, those, those live streams can be fun, man. They're fun, I, I, yeah. After we interviewed Kylie Bear last year, mm-hmm. I have been listening to him every week on Tuesday nights. I believe it's mm-hmm. Tuesday nights. <laughs> I get my push <laughs> notification and I'm there. So I would be more than happy to support Noah Watts on his, his Twitch journey. But Joe, what are we actually planning here? I, I, I know we used to the previews last season. We kind of got away from for a little bit. But what are we going to be talking about? We next? did, yeah. When we when we got down to like the creator content stuff, we we didn't quite do it. We left a you know a little surprise in there. But since we're getting started with our second season, it's probably best we get back into our regular routine. So next week we'll be taking a look at a video game in a first ever retro review. And since we just had the pleasure of talking with Noah Watts, what better place to start than with Assassin's Creed 3? Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to discuss mm. some of the, the decisions I made the first time playing this game. <laughs> <laughs> but Some hastily done more than others. Yeah. Well, hey, you know what? I, I'm down. I love these uh, retro reviews, especially because mm-hmm. that is the band of time that we like to talk about is... I guess the millennial culture that remembered the 80s, is that what yeah. we're kind of going for here? Kind of, yeah, except we're just remembering um, like 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> we just miss it so much. Um, but yeah, no, this is, again, it's a first because, like, while we have usually, like, you know, dug deep into video games in the past, this time we'll actually be, like, providing a rating and, like, a, like a, our actual input on, like, how well we think that, how well we think this was or how much we actually liked it, as opposed to, this is the development history. This is the behind-the-scenes stuff. And, and I mean, it's a bread and butter, so that's good stuff. But, hey, this is something that is still new for us. Yeah, and if you trust our judgment and want to hear about it, then just tune in next week. We'll be talking once again, retro review of Assassin's Creed 3. But before we go, folks, we always like to please, please like, subscribe, comment, share, do all that stuff that involves pushing this stuff out there. You've been doing a great mm-hmm. job with it, and we can't thank you enough. But on top of that, once again, thank you, Noah Watts, for your time. You're an amazing creator. And until next time, keep on dissecting.